Today on the podcast, I sit down with Katie Milkman to talk about her book, How to Change, the science of getting from where you are to where you want to be. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Today's episode is sponsored by Monk Pack. Monk Pack offers low sugar, keto friendly bars, which are plant based, gluten free, and non GMO. They're the perfect snack for anyone who's trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. And that's really hard to do. There are so many products out there that are healthier alternatives to your regular snack, but the first thing to go is always the taste. That's not the case with Monk Pack. I'm literally in the middle of eating a uh, coconut cocoa chip bar that has one gram of sugar, two grams of net carbs, and four grams of protein. And it is delicious. And I know because I've been trying to cut back on sugar for a long time. And the thing that always messes me up is that weird aftertaste you get from low sugar snacks. Monk Pack doesn't have that. It's all clean, simple ingredients with no high intensity sweetener or aftertaste. So why not do what I did and many other people listening to this show have already done? Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering the code TINYLEAPS at checkout. To get started, just head over to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product you want and then enter the code TINYLEAPS at checkout to save 20% off your first purchase. Again, you can only get that discount when you enter TINYLEAPS at checkout checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So head over to monkpack.com and enter the code TINYLEAPS at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. If you've ever tried to make a big change to your life, to accomplish more at work or in school, to get in shape for a marathon, to build a nest egg for retirement, then you know that there's a lot of advice out there about how to succeed. In fact, you've probably tried acting on some of it. Maybe you've tracked your steps with a Fitbit or set calendar reminders on your phone to practice deep breathing exercises on your lunch break. Perhaps you've cut out your afternoon coffee habit, putting the money you would have spent at the cafe into a savings account. You know your goals should be specific and measurable. You know the power of positive thinking and incremental progress. You know it's helpful to have a support group. Thanks to a booming popular interest in behavioral science, the last two decades have seen an explosion of new research and information. TED Talks, books, workshops, apps about practical tools that can help you change your behavior and encourage others to do the same. But as you've likely noticed, widely touted techniques don't always help you or others change. That is a section of the introduction to Katie Milkman's book, How to Change. And she asks a good question. Why is it that we know what to do? We have all the tools we need to do it, and yet we still struggle. 
Perhaps you're feeling this pain right now. With the new year comes new goals and new behaviors. We each look ahead at the potential of the year and decide that we want to make it our best year yet. But as numerous studies have shown, by February, the vast majority of people will have failed at and abandoned those goals. Why is this? Well, as Katie said, change is hard. And while we may have access to an unlimited number of strategies and tools, finding the right one for each situation is an impossible feeling task. This is what Katie has dedicated the last 20 years of her life to figuring out. I'm a professor at the Wharton School, the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a behavioral scientist, which means I study topics at the intersection between economics and psychology. And I'm really interested in how people make choices. Um, and specifically, my area of focus is trying to understand how we can help people make better choices, particularly about their health, their educational outcomes, their financial decisions, so that they can live better lives. Um, I've been studying this for almost 20 years, which I can't believe. And uh, I, I co-direct a research center called the Behavior Change for Good Initiative with Angela Duckworth, who some of your listeners might be familiar with from her work on her writing on grit. She's similarly extremely interested in these questions of how we can use science to advance knowledge about how to make people live better lives. That's really what it's all about. How can we give people tools that will actually help? So that's what I wrote this book about because we had created this research center five years ago when we felt like this needed to be the focus of more people's work. It was such a pressing problem. And I realized I actually knew enough already from my own work and from the work of many others that I have, you know, be become familiar with over the years of study to put something together that could be helpful. I, I, you know, think there's 40 years of work ahead of us <laughs> to do more. We certainly don't know everything that there is to know, but, but we know a lot. And so that's what the book is about. It's, it's really meant to be a guide. I'm a science nerd. So I wrote it for other people who like science. It's not just a list of prescriptions. It really explains the way that we got to the answers as well as telling stories and trying to to provide those takeaways, but, but I couldn't help but put myself into it and explain the journey to discover th these things. Yeah. And at the, the risk of, of gushing, I think you find that balance pretty well because I've read uh, a lot of other books that come from that like science perspective, but it feels, um, too heavy and, and too sort of in the weeds for the general population you somehow managed to fill in the, the story of how you worked with 24-Hour Fitness and, and filled in all of that stuff while also talking about the data. And it, it feels approachable, which, which I really appreciated. Uh, how did this – where does this come from? Not everyone is that interested in uh, science as a whole, but also – how do we make decisions and how do we we help people make better decisions and therefore get better outcomes? Like, where does that come from for you? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, every scientist is motivated for different reasons to do what they do. I, um, I, I'd say there's like two big things that led me to this stream of research. 
One is much less noble than the other. And I'll start with the less noble purpose, which is um, a lot of what I do is at some level me search rather Mm -hmm. than just research. Like I have all the problems that prevent you from succeeding in life. Like I procrastinate, I'm impulsive, I uh, am forgetful, I um, have hot temper, I uh, have bad habits, I sometimes lack confidence in myself and fall victim to stereotypes. Um, And so I have all those struggles. And when I learned about this discipline, uh, this academic field of behavioral economics about 20 years ago, when I was a graduate student, I saw myself in it because, so there's this field, Danny Kahneman is probably the best known um, person, sort of the founder of the field of behavioral economics. And it's focused on studying all the problems that humans have, like all the systematic mistakes we make. Mm -hmm. And I just, I gravitated towards it when I learned about it because I was like, wow, that's me. But what I was excited about was not just like seeing myself in it, but seeing, okay, if we can document all these mistakes that people make systematically, there might be a way around them. There might be cures that we could discover. So that's kind of, that's the me search, like not noble portion. And then the noble part and and truly what gives my work meaning and makes me excited to wake up every morning came later. And it came when I was uh, an assistant professor at Wharton studying this stuff. I will say just like, because I had an itch, I was curious and there was this me search motivation, but I hadn't really found my path and my calling. And I went, of all things, I stumbled into a lecture, I tell the story in the book, uh, over at the medical school at Penn, because there was a group doing interesting work around medicine and decision making. And I was just sampling. And at, th- at this lecture, somebody put up a slide with a graph that showed the fraction of premature deaths in the United States that are caused by different things from, you know, accidents, environment, genetics, et cetera. And one of the wedges in this pie chart showed the proportion of premature deaths that are caused by decisions we make that we could change. So, you know, decisions about what we eat, what we drink, whether we're physically active, whether we put on seatbelts when we get in cars, these kinds of daily decisions that I was casually studying. And it turns out that is the largest factor that predicts premature death in this country. 40% of premature deaths are caused by decisions we make, small decisions that we could change. Smoking, I should add, is, is a big part of that. Um, alcohol is also in that wedge. And I just, my mind was blown. I thought, you know, maybe this accounts for 5% of premature deaths. Like these little decisions that I'm trying to- Yeah, you wouldn't assume it's that large. So big. The opportunity to make the world truly better with the science that I was already doing for fun, kind of, Mm -hmm. was just vastly larger than I had appreciated. And that that is when I started focusing um, much more- intently on behavior change as my, you know, this is, this is the mission of my work is to understand Mm -hmm. how can we make the world a better place? How can we help people live longer lives? And of course, I I was interested also in, you know, savings decisions. I also study how to reduce race and gender bias in organizations. Um, I also study um, how can we help people get, achieve more in, in their educational pursuits in all of those spaces, even though I'd never seen the same graph, it's obvious that these small, things accumulate. And once I'd seen an empirical demonstration of how much they accumulate in in this medical space, it was sort of obvious. It's got to be a bigger factor in all the other things I care about too. And and maybe I can really help if I 
if I'm laser focused, if I bring people mm-hmm. together around this, if I make sure we're communicating everything we know to a wide audience so as many people as possible can benefit. When we get back, we'll talk to Katie about the fresh start effect and how you can use it to help you kickstart a new habit. Here's what that sounds like. I got a great question. And the question was, are there ideal times to promote change to our employees? And this sparked these conversations with Heng Chen and Jason about moments in our lives that feel ripe for change. And of course, we immediately thought of New Year's. But we also recognize that that's not the only moment that dates like Mondays, um, the start of a new month. We've shown now across lots of data sets, those moments lead people to be more likely to do things like set goals on popular goal setting websites. They're more likely to um, visit the gym. They're more likely to search for the term diet on Google. And if we highlight those dates for people, we see that highlighting those dates drives more savings, more goal pursuit. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Freedom Lifestyle Podcast Series. I'm sharing relatable stories of freedom seekers who ditched conventional office life and courageously asked for more. The energy just completely shifted. My entire being just felt so free. My business was still generating income while I was on the beach. I decided to quit and just stay at home. I really can't work for anyone but me. It's literally just doing whatever the hell you want to do. As for me, I'm your host, Sam, and I've spent the last four years creating a business that allows me to work from anywhere. The freedom lifestyle looks different for everyone. What's your free? Hey, before we jump back into the podcast, I want to remind you about my new app, Upward. It's designed to help you stick with those healthy behaviors and habits that you've been trying to build for so long. Things like meditation, journaling, exercise, eating healthier, drinking more water, whatever it is you're trying to do, the Upward app can help. And here's how it works. You download the app, create an account, select the habit you want to build, request a partner, and you're then paired with an accountability partner to work with for 21 days. You can chat, share wins, see each other's streaks, and support each other when you need it. It's the best way to build a healthy habit in 2021, and right now it is 100% free. So check out the Upward app on the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Just search Upward Habits or head to tlbc.co slash links. And of course, the link to that will be in the description of this episode as well. Check out the Upward app now and get started on building those healthy habits you've always wanted. One of the first things you talk about uh, in the book, and you talk about this a lot in interviews that you've done as well, is this thing called the fresh start effect, uh, which we're recording this January 6th, 2022. So we kind of just had one. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about what this is and how it's relevant to day to day behavior uh, change. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics I've ever studied and was naturally one of the first chapters in how to change. Um, The Fresh Start Effect describes the tendency we have to be more motivated to pursue goals at moments in our lives that feel like new beginnings. And the most famous one that, you know, I didn't need to study this to tell you about is New Year's, right? So um, this is work I should also say that I've done with Heng Chen Dai, who's my former student and a professor at UCLA, and Jason Reese, a 
about a decade ago, I got a great question when I was visiting a company and talking about research on behavior change. And the question was, are there ideal times to promote change to our employees? And this sparked these conversations with Hang Chen and Jason about moments in our lives that feel ripe for change. And of course, we immediately thought of New Year's, but we also recognize that that's not the only moment in life that feels auspicious for change. There are other times that have the same psychology to them. And we started studying and accumulating evidence showing this, that dates like Mondays, um, the start of a new month, the celebration of holidays we associate with fresh starts. So think, you know, the start of spring, Easter, uh, Labor Day, um, not so much dates like Valentine's Day right there. Some dates have this and some don't. Birthdays can come along and give us a sense of a fresh start because it's a new beginning in our life, a new year. Uh, we've shown now across lots of data sets, those moments lead people to be more likely to do things like set goals on popular goal setting websites. They're more likely to um, visit the gym. They're more likely to search for the term diet on Google. And if we highlight those dates for people, right? We draw their attention and say, you know, here's a calendar, choose a date when you want to get um, goal reminders or when you want to start saving. And we label one date as the first day of spring versus not giving it that special label, not drawing their attention to it. We see that highlighting those dates drives more savings, more goal pursuit. So this was super exciting to us because we realized once we can harness the power of these fresh start moments, we may be able to help people achieve more than they would otherwise. If we can get them, for instance, we have one study where we um, increased people's savings rates, 20 to 30% more um, savings was happening over nine months just by inviting people to start saving with their employer on a date that was meaningful and felt like a fresh start, inviting them to start saving after a birthday or um, the start of spring as opposed to an arbitrary date. So this is one of my favorite topics because it's such a it, it, it it's so intuitive and there's this easy win um, that we can get from it by by recognizing these moments, calling attention to them for making a single change that can carry us forward can be really valuable. So there's two things that I'm really curious about with this. Um, the first being in your research, how much. How much is it intrinsically understood, I guess, around the, the specific fresh start date versus the labeling of the date? For example, if I were to uh, say to somebody, let's start this workout routine and I just label a random Thursday as something like the first day of the routine or the first day of the rest of our lives or the first day of like just finding some kind of label to give it, like how much would that create that fresh start effect versus that intrinsic understanding of Monday is the first day of the week. So that's a good place to, to start it. Yeah, it's a really good question. So I would say from, and this is sort of, I'm speaking a little bit outside of the data that I present in the book, but, but from some data we've attempted to collect in other studies, you can't just make one up, right? It, it, we we have not had success when we're like, look, it's the 100th day of the year. It's a fresh start. Get, go crazy. Do, you know, set goals. It has to resonate with people, right? So um, you, you can't just declare today a fresh start and convince people to do anything you want. But if if the date does have meaning intrinsically and you draw attention to it, a date like the start of spring or um, the end of term for students um, 
or a birthday that might not have been really a magnet for someone's goals naturally, that seems to work. Um, we actually have found it hard to use New Year's as a fresh start for exactly the same reason, I think, which is that it's already perceived that way. So like, so pointing it out to people and being like, hey, look, let's change your behavior. Yeah, there's no added value to the labeling. So that's fascinating because that means it is both the the labeling of it and the like intrinsic understanding of the state that matter. That is my interpretation of the data we have collected. And I should say, you know, we've been studying this topic for roughly a decade. There's still so much we don't know. I would like to know. I would like to have even better answers. But that's my impression from what we've done. One of my favorite studies done by another team actually looked at just showing people a calendar where either, you know, the days of the week sort of you label the start of a new week. You can label it as a Monday or on a Sunday, different cultures, different religions, sort of say the week starts on different dates. And that worked sort of switching from Sunday to Monday to switch the dates on which people were most attractive to beginning to pursue new things. So there is, there is some malleability where people's understanding of what is a fresh start has wiggle room. How much have you seen or, or did, were you able to, to gather much data on uh, how long that lasts? So Fresh Start Effect is a great way to get started, but how does it carry long term? Yeah, this is a big limitation of this particular tool for behavior change is that it it's it's not that long lived. And if you feel fresh on Monday, but stale on Wednesday and you try to start a workout routine, right, you're gonna fall off the wagon pretty quickly. Um, a lot of people when they heard I was writing a book assumed it would be a book about the Fresh Start Effect because that's probably the uh, effective study that's most famous. Um, and, and I said like, no way, because I don't want to leave people high and dry. The fresh start is just a beginning. It only gets you started. And if you don't have other tools, you know, we all know the dire statistics on new year's resolutions. Um, I, I think it's great that fresh starts motivate an attempt at change, because if you don't try, you don't get anywhere. Right. And, and some fraction of goal pursuit attempts are successful, whether people use good science to support their attempts or not. Some fraction work. And if you don't try, 0% work. Um, but it really is only a starter. It gets you, it gets you like to put in a little initial effort. And that is not the whole ballgame. So one of the reasons actually one of our uh one of my favorite studies we've done on fresh starts that tried to look at it, they're them in a consequential setting focused on just a one-time decision that has huge implications, which is getting someone to sign on to an uh, auto-deduct retirement savings program, right? You make one decision in one moment where you're thinking, yeah, the timing feels right. And it has these huge implications for years after because you sign up for your employer-sponsored program. They start taking a portion of every paycheck. You have to do nothing else, and you are going to be set for retirement, right, if you choose a high enough contribution rate. So that's what where I think Fresh Starts have the most magic, is if you can harness that short-term burst of optimism and motivation to do something with big long-term implications that will carry you forward, whether it's signing up for retirement. I, people always laugh when I give this other example, this next example, which is go get a colonoscopy, right? Like that's a pretty weird one, but it's, there are these things you can do. Go get a vaccine in life where it's a one shot decision. You need one moment of motivation, but it really has huge implications. Um, you could, you know, enroll in school, um, sign up for 
a, a program of some sort with a personal trainer. So there are things you can enroll in and then it, it carries you forward. But you need a lot more than that temporary motivation it gives you is the key. And that is where we're actually going to end today's conversation with Katie Milkman. Don't worry, there is over an hour of recorded conversation here. So we will be doing a part two, and that's going to be coming out tomorrow. So if you're listening in the future, go ahead and listen to episode 789 right now if you want the second part of this conversation. And for those of you listening on day of release, just come back tomorrow and you'll have the second part. There is so much amazing knowledge in this interview, I just want to make sure that it's accessible and that it's something people are going to choose to listen to. And I know that those longer episode lengths, if I just release it as one part, would actually make it less likely that people will do that. So again, this is just part one of the conversation. Come back tomorrow or listen to episode 789 to hear the second part. Uh, before we go, I want to remind you to check out today's sponsor, Monk Pack. Monk Pack has done a phenomenal job at creating healthy snacks, snacks that are low in sugar, low in carbs, but still taste amazing and don't have any of those like weird sugary aftertaste. I had a coconut cocoa bar earlier and it, it was phenomenal. I'm probably gonna have a second one later today after my workout. So check them out, head over to monkpack.com and use the code tinyleaps to get 20% off of your first order. And I also want to remind you to check out today's other sponsor, the Freedom Lifestyle Podcast. Sam, who's the host of the show, is doing a phenomenal job helping people figure out how to define and design their own freedom lifestyle, whatever that means for you, whether that's quitting your job and starting a business, or maybe it's just finding a better work-life balance, whatever it means, she's documenting it and she's sharing other people's stories that you can learn from. So check out the podcast now that you're done with this episode. Go listen to the Freedom Lifestyle Podcast. The link to that is in the description of this episode. So thank you again for being here and be sure to tune in to part two of my conversation with Katie Milkman, episode seven. 789 releasing tomorrow. And with that said, I've been Greg Clunas. And remember that mistakes are not final. Failure is a requirement. And all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day. Every day.